All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And we're back after a brief hiatus. Um, we just had a lot going on. We had midterms and spring break, so it was just a hectic schedule. But we're finally back to school and back to the podcast. And there's a lot to cover. Um, it's March, finally. So not only do we both have birthdays in March, but March Madness is coming around very soon in three days in fact so we're going to start there and talk about some March Madness now to preface both Hunter and I are not huge college basketball fans we mostly watch the NBA so um, our analysis is going to be kind of surface level like we're not going to know every player on every team but we're going to go into some some upset picks um, some teams to watch and uh, our picks for who's going to win it all and probably talk about it more as uh, games start to play out so Hunter, give me give me an upset. Who do you think? Give, give me give me an upset in your bracket. Ooh, I really like Memphis. Memphis is a team I can honestly see making some noise, um, and a lot of people are underestimating them. I feel like just because they're very young, um, and the, the guy who's supposed to be a leader for them, Amani Bates, has kind of fallen back a little bit. But I really think that's because he's kind of just not in the headspace of college basketball. He's you know thinking about the NBA draft, thinking about all those exciting things that are to come for him in the future. But I think that being in a tournament like March Madness, something that's so exciting about it is that really ropes players and grounds them back into their scenario. Because like all these guys looking ahead to the NBA realize like this is my chance to really shine. People will see what I do. And it's not just the people who watch college basketball. This is like all the fans, like everyone watches March Madness. So um, I could see Memphis making some noise. Um, and if they beat Boise State in the first round, they'd be playing Gonzaga, who's the one seed. So I don't know if they'll they'll beat Gonzaga, but you know, I'm just gonna toss it up there. I don't think it's gonna be as big of a blow as some people might think it is. Yeah, I, I have a pretty um, I like Memphis too, and I actually I have them making it. And I think you know if Memphis plays Gonzaga, that's gonna be a close again. A lot of people think this Memphis team is gritty. They're a tough team. They they fight on a possession. They're a good defensive team. And so I think that they're really going to pose a challenge to Gonzaga. I mean, assuming Gonzaga beats Georgia State. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, I you know, go Georgia State. Woohoo. This is, you know, very, very likely for them to win. <laughs> I want to I move down to the East real quick. And uh, a matchup that I'm going to keep my eye on is Texas versus Virginia Tech. Um, Texas was a team that flamed out early, got upset last year. Um, because they're one of those teams that when they're hot, yes, they're unstoppable. But, you know, if they're not hitting their shots or they're playing a good defensive team and those shots start to miss, they don't really have much else to rely on. And so this Virginia Tech team is honestly pretty underrated, in my opinion. They beat Duke in the ACC championship where they had a great run. And, yes, they didn't have the best season. But I think that if the right things happen and, uh, you know, their, their players are hitting their shots, and, and they, this is a, a tough team. As Duke really saw, I think they could beat Texas, and they're no stranger to uh, getting upset. So that's that's a matchup I want people to keep their eye on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I have to agree with you there. Uh, I can't do too much analysis on that one because I don't know a ton about Texas. I do know Virginia Tech has been pretty hot, you know, beating Duke and all, all that stuff. Um, but another one that I, I personally really love is LSU. I think they're honestly, this is a hot take going to get to the final four. I really love this team. I really, I really like Duke or sorry, not Duke LSU. 
Uh, I just think they've been they've been on a tear lately, and I think it's going to continue. And you know, I just love their team, and I have a lot of respect for Sharif O'Neal as well. He's a guy coming off their bench. Obviously, he's not like one of their be- best players or anything like that, but just he's a great story, and uh, I just love cheering for him. Definitely, yeah. No, that's it's a likable team, and I also have them beating uh, Iowa State, but I do have Wisconsin beating them in the uh, round of 32. Um, so not as bullish on them as you are, but yeah, I really love them. A I lot think- of these opinions aren't based necessarily on fact. It's based on feeling. <laughs> At this point, there really is no difference in marking on this, but I do think that loyal Chicago has a chance to um, make it relatively far. I have them making it to the sweet 16. Loyal Chicago is no stranger to miracle runs. We've seen them time and time again, Sister Jean and all that, making it deep in March Madness because they're sort of the team that's built for these moments. They have a great program. They're a great coach. Um, the team, the players buy into the program, buy into the system. And so even though this isn't a team that doesn't have a lot of talent, um, they're going to still be able to be competitive in these games no matter who they're playing against. And teams know that you know they're a fan favorite. The crowd's always going to be behind them no matter where they play. And I could see them, you know, upsetting Villanova. And, yes, this Villanova team is really good. But I don't know. Anything can happen to March Madness. And I think if a team is going to knock out a two seed, it's going to be Loyola Chicago. So you're obviously assuming that they're going to beat Ohio State? Yeah. I mean, in this instance, I have them beating Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I Honestly, I am so done with Ohio State. I had them making the Final Four last year actually i had them making the national championship game and they lost in the first round so i am done with ohio state they can all go the like away i'm so done with that team and i'm not picking them watch what do you think year, though that they, they they win the national championship or something who do you think is gonna take it all uh so i have gonzaga it's, it's not a very controversial pick they're obviously the number one ranked team but i think this year is their year i think last year was we obviously know they lost in the national championship game to Baylor, but I think that this year they've done some growth. They've added a couple uh, key pieces, namely Chet uh, Holgren. And, you know, this guy's seven foot one, offensive juggernaut. He's going to add some variety to their offense. And they kept some key pieces last year, in my opinion, namely Drew Timmy. And, and just seeing those like two twin towers almost uh, is going to be fun to see. And I think that offensively, there's not many teams that can stop them. Uh, but who do you who do you have winning it all? I'd probably say Kansas. I think Kansas is just they don't necessarily have like that one like bona fide like going to be a top five NBA draft pick, but they play really well as a unit and they have those guys. I mean, at the end of the day, basketball really do, just does come down to do you have a guy who can get you a bucket at the end of the game when it's close, when it's crunch time, and these March Madness games a lot of the time that's what it does come down to is that last bucket, those that last minute, those last possessions and i think uh that kansas has a few of those guys that are going to be able to get them a bucket at the end of the game yeah no i've, I've kansas went to the final four as well so i'm a big believer in them but i think that tennessee this tennessee team is special and i have them playing in the national championship again against uh gonzaga wait do you have gonzaga in the national championship uh probably ideally I'd like to see uh, Memphis, <laughs> but that's never going to happen. I don't think Memphis yeah, would be my dream. I just really like them as a, I, I love, love Imani. I went to go see them in person this year. So yeah, that would, that would definitely be sick, but 
kind of unlikely. Um, yes. And finally, last thing we'll, we'll talk about is like, who do you see as a team that people have very high expectations on, but could flame out early and, and really disappoint? That's a good question. I honestly haven't thought of, but I'm going to look around a little bit on this bracket. Sure. And I, I, I do I mean, think I would well, say, why don't you start? Yeah. I, because to me, the name that jumps out is Duke. I think that, you know, on selection Sunday, when Duke was picked at number two, a lot of people were shocked. Like this is a team. Yes. It's Duke. Yes. It's coach K. Yes. We know the talent that they have on this team, like uh, Paolo uh, Bonchera. I forgot how to say his name, but he's like a top ranked NBA prospect, you know, this team is loaded with talent, but I think that I've just been really disappointed by this team watching them throughout the season. They just haven't lived up to the expectations. Uh, and I think that, you know, they lost in the ACC championship uh, in that's going to kill some of their momentum. So while I see them making it pretty far, like sweet 16 in my bracket, I in one of my brackets, I have Alabama beating them. Um, I could see Texas tech taking that. Uh, I just don't think this team is really going to really has what it takes to make it that far. And Duke always, in my opinion, has a reputation of, of faltering in March Madness. I think back to the Zion, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish team that didn't make it as far as we thought. And so I think Duke is definitely a team that people should be wary of and uh, should not place too much hope within. Okay, yeah, that's really fair. I, I, I'd have to agree. Since, I mean, they lost to Virginia Tech. That's an, another thing that people have been talking about recently. Yeah. Um, I maybe have to say St. Mary's College. Uh, I really just don't see, like, a legit, like, firepower, a firecracker on this team. Like I said earlier, what I was referring to when I was talking about Kansas was they just have a guy who can go out there and get you a bucket at any given time. And I really don't see that in this team. And they're ranked at number five. So it's not like they're like expected to like get to the final four per se, but I mean, that's still pretty high ranking generally speaking. So. Yeah. And last thing I'll say before we uh, move on to the NBA is I want everyone to pay attention to Purdue and specifically Jaden Ivy, number 23. This kid is special. Um, watching him last year during March Madness, I was just so shocked at how talented this kid was. Um, he, he really reminds me of a young John Morant almost. Like, he's extremely athletic, gifted offensively, and, you know, is just so crafty at finishing and, and has that explosiveness that reminds me of Ja. So I could see them having a similar run to Murray State when John Morant was on that team. And this is a team, in my opinion, they, I mean, they really do have, like, boomer bust potential like they could lose to virginia tech or texas in the second round assuming they beat yale obviously um but i, I they could make it to the final four like genuinely because they have that much talent and Jaden ivy is just that good uh so i just want everyone to pay attention and also just remember that name Jaden ivy because i think he's going to really translate well to the nba <clears throat> so yeah with that being said uh let's move on to talk about the nba so Let's start with some records being broken because I, when we were gone during our little break, um, a bunch of records were broken in the NBA, which is kind of crazy. Uh, first of all, Greg Popovich broke the all-time NBA record for games won as a coach with 1,336 wins. Um, it's an incredible record, and I think he definitely deserves it. But this really does beg the question, is Greg Popovich the greatest coach 
in NBA history. Before I answer that question, I, I just would want to commend Greg Popovich for like just an incredible coaching history and like just being the Spurs coach for so long, being dedicated to not only his his players but his team and just he he's it's rare for a coach to stick with a team like that. You know what I mean? Like most coaches, when you get this many wins, it's like you've jumped around teams um, and you've jumped around to like some of the best teams in the league to like the players that are the best or like, for example, Phil Jackson. I mean that when you, when you talk about this question, is he the greatest coach of all time? The first name that pops in my head is Phil Jackson. Mm -hmm. You have to compare these guys. And I honestly don't, think I could pick who's better between the two because I think they've just been both so incredible but in different ways I mean you got a guy in Phil Jackson who coached both MJ and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman but also coached Shaq and Kobe so on one hand he definitely has more rings he has you know a lot of accolades as well Um, but you also take into account that maybe Phil Jackson's job wasn't as hard as a coach because he had better talent like over an extended period of time. Obviously, Greg Popovich worked with some of the greatest talent ever in the Spurs dynasty, but he didn't have the extended talent of Kobe, Shaq, MJ, per se, if you see what I'm getting at. So I think it's just a little different, but I'd say they're like, it's kind of like the MJ LeBron debate, like, you know, how different people have their different opinions. I give both of them their props. Sure, and I definitely agree with that in the sense that, you, you talk about them being different. I think their achievements as coaches are different. You know, we bring up the talent aspect. I think Greg Popovich, yes, he, he has coached a lot of the greatest talents in NBA history. You think Tim Duncan, you think David Robinson, Kawhi Leonard, Tony Parker, Mono Ginobili. But the thing is, a lot of these players gained prominence through Greg Popovich, through his system. He helped make them the players that, you know, they became. And a lot of these players are mild-mannered, willing to be coached, don't have an ego. Think Tim Duncan and uh, David Robinson, Kawhi Leonard. These are some of the like most humble, uh, non-egotistical superstars we've ever had in this game. And whether that's a result of Greg Popovich or not, that is sort of not a detriment, but it does sort of negate a little bit from his legacy as a coach. Because Phil Jackson, on the other, on the, on the other hand... Sorry, that was hard for me to say. Um, he's had to deal with a lot of big, massive egos um, and try to juggle them around. You know, those Bulls teams with Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, and uh, Tony Kukoc, like players like this, they all wanted the ball. They, there was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of disagreement. And the Zen master was somehow able to manage that and to translate that into winning. Same with the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. Um, and that's one of the greatest achievements uh, you could really say as a coach. So while Phil Jackson has the rings, Greg Popovich has the longevity. He did it for longer and, and stuck with the same organization. So you really, in my opinion, you can't pick between the two because they, they're the greatest in different aspects. But it is still a crazy achievement for Greg Popovich. Um, and I think it's well-deserved that he is the one to break that record. Yeah, I just want to add it on or I just wanted to add on to something you said about, um, oh my God, Phil Jackson. Holy crap. Why couldn't I remember his name for a second? (laughs) But um, just talking about like the fact that he had a coach, some of the biggest like 
egos and heads in the NBA. Like you have to think of it like Dennis Rodman, like as an example, like he flew to Las Vegas and decided to stay there. And then he has to go drag him out of Las Vegas and be like, what the hell are you doing? It's the middle of the season. You know, these are things obviously Greg Popovich never had to deal with, and that doesn't make him any worse of a coach, but I just think it's so different. And also, you know, you have like the Jerry Krause situation. So like, you know, the MJ and Scottie Pippen, like the breakup of that and how that was dealt with. And then also obviously the breakup of Shaq and Kobe, like these are all very tumultuous things. So Phil Jackson's obviously was obviously very good at handling rough situations. Yeah, no, but definitely. It's like we don't know. We don't know that he would have done as well as a coach in such a calm situation. Like, is he just a good coach for players who don't have good chemistry? Maybe, but it, it it definitely is like easier to say like, oh yeah, he probably could have coached players who are more mild mannered than players who are like just extremely bad tempered and uh, prone to arguments. So that's true. I, I don't know. I think that, like you said his achievements in dealing with interpersonal issues is something to be admired and something to definitely be like applauded. And Greg Popovich doesn't necessarily have that, but they balance out each other with their accolades. And so we just got to commend both of them as being just tremendous coaches. If I've ever learned anything about great NBA coaches, I really hope Greg Popovich never tries to become a GM. Oh, yeah. yeah that, that might be the one thing. I mean, we don't count that, but, like, we, we try to forget about that, you know? Like, D-Wade... Phil Jackson, the, Knicks. D-Wade was never <laughs> on the Cavs or uh, the Bulls. He was always a Miami Heat player, and Phil Jackson was never the GM of the New York Knicks. That never happened. Um, but moving on to the next NBA record that was broken recently... We have LeBron becoming the first player in the NBA to hit 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, and most recently, 10,000 assists. Now, that's truly incredible. Adds on to his case for the GOAT. And a note to that, LeBron is the first player to hit 10K points, 10K rebounds, and 10, 10K assists. So it's like there's that 20K points is just extra. That doesn't even matter. Throw that out the window comparing up to other people. So... Does this make you view LeBron's legacy any differently, or do you think it'll make people in general view him differently? I mean, I think at this point, people's opinion of LeBron is pretty solidified. I think the one thing that could maybe change that is the scoring title, uh, all-time scoring leader, rather, not the scoring title. Um, because I think people, you know, in the MJ-LeBron debate, people are pretty firm in their opinions and unwilling to change, no matter what LeBron does. Um, so I think made, pretty major achievements have to be made, like, winning another ring or being the all-time scoring leader. But for me, this just solidifies my view of LeBron as just a tremendous score. I mean, we talk about him so often as such a great passer and, you know, just a great facilitator and orchestrator of the offense. But people neglect to put him in those conversations when we talk about greatest scores of all time. Yes, we talk Michael Jordan. We talk Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, Tracy McGrady, all these great scores. But – we don't put LeBron in that conversation. The, you look at the list of other players who have 10,000 assists, and the next highest player is like Chris Paul with 20,000. He's 10,000 above them, above him. And, you know, other players like Magic, he has like 16,000, 18,000 for Jason Kidd, something like that. And so LeBron is just such a tremendous, effortless scorer on top of being one of the best playmakers of all time. 
And so that just, in my opinion, adds to my view of him. And that's really what I take away when I see him breaking this record. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really don't think anybody has been hating on LeBron for this one. This is just an incredible record to hold, no matter um, what kind of game it comes in, even if you lose to the Suns by 30 points. <laughs> I agree with what I'm saying about like LeBron should be in those conversations about best scorers of all time. Oh, yeah, 100%. LeBron should definitely be in those conversations. I mean, considering he's about to surpass Carl Malone and he could potentially surpass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, people are going to need to start having those conversations. Is LeBron, you know, a top three, top five, even you could say top one, like is LeBron the best scorer of all time? Because I think some people do believe that. I'd say the majority of people don't believe that. Um, but it's a conversation to be held for sure. And I think even adding to that, like LeBron in the last week has scored 50 points in two games in the same week. That's unbelievable, uh, especially for a player in year 19, age 37, for him to be. I think that. the last time um, a Laker did that was Kobe in 2009, I believe, which means prime Kobe. And obviously LeBron is recently out of his prime. I mean, I don't know anymore. I have so many primes. I'm losing count. Does LeBron have? Does he have four primes, or just four different LeBrons that are all equally as good? Basically, at this point, that's what it's looking like. Um, but let's move on. We've talked enough about records, and let's talk to some teams. Uh, so yesterday there was a great game that was on Mavericks versus Celtics, uh, where Spencer Dinwiddie hit the game winner, and then there was a. Uh, it's a bit of a controversial call or uh, removal of a call, should I say, against Luca? But that's neither here nor there. I hey, hey, real quick, real quick, before we get into it, when Rafa texted me during the game, he said, who's going to win this game? And I said, Luca on a buzzer beater three. I said, it's going to be a buzzer beater three. Hey, I was pretty cl- goddamn close. Give me my credit. It wasn't Luca, but it was Spencer Dinwiddie, which I think was was pretty good. I almost got it. And it also wasn't a buzzer beater three, but close enough. Close enough. No, hey, it wasn't a buzzer beater three, but you see my point, which is it was like that was I was pretty spot on. I was impressed. But I I wanted to talk about the Mavs because since the Spencer Dinwiddie trade, they're nine and two. They've won their last 13 of 16. Uh, and in Dinwiddie's last 19 games, he's averaging 20 points per game, 4.8 assists. 51% 51% from the field, 46.8% from three, and he's leading the team plus minus. Um, so, Hunter, what are your thoughts on the Mavs post-Porzingis era, and are they a legitimate dark horse to win the NBA championship? Yeah, I think we kind of talked about this a little bit, but like everybody clowned the Mavericks after their move to get rid of Porzingis. This has obviously been very beneficial for them, having – a secondary ball handler, taking a lot of load off of Luca, allowing Luca to play off ball sometimes. And that's resulted also for Spencer Dinwiddie in a bigger role, not having to play behind Bad- Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma. Um, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like know, he, he was, he was the third or fourth option on I his know. team. I know, it's funny to say like Kyle Kuzma is in the same conversation as Bradley Beal, but as far as on the Wizards, the, the, the order of command was probably Bradley Beal, Kyle Kuzma, Spencer Dinwiddie. That's probably the training command. And here it goes Luka Doncic, then Spencer Dinwiddie. He's the second guy. He has a bigger role. He's asked to do more. And obviously he's thriving within that. I mean, 
you saw he thrived in Brooklyn when he was the he was the man in Brooklyn. Um, it was him and Jared Allen, um, and it was the year after D'Lo when um, both KD and Kyrie were gone. Um, right, I got that right. Yeah, it was the year KD and Kyrie were both gone, and he was just balling, and that obviously inflated his value as a player, and he didn't look the same on the Wizards, but obviously he's he's come onto this team. And I think Lucas also helped him a lot as a player. I mean, like the forty-seven percent from three is not sustainable. Yeah. But that Luca has Luca has helped increase the volume and the quality of the three pointers he's taking. He's never played, or I won't say he's never played with this quality of playmaker because he got to play with Kyrie. But it's just Kyrie is not as good of a playmaker as Luca ever. He was never this good. Okay, he's not as good of a playmaker, but he's going to give you some of the same opportunities that spent that. Luca will. I don't know if I fully agree with that. I think that Luca is a better passer. That's not a question. I agree yeah, with you. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like Luca, yeah. like even you don't even have to look further than the game winner in that game against the Celtics. Luca Doncic, he attracts two players, kicks it out. Dinwiddie, pretty much a wide open look for three to win the game. Dinwiddie is not getting those types of looks on the Wizards or really on the Nets with Kyrie, and. I mean, I'm, I've been super impressed with this play. It's looked like back to Nets and Witty, and I'm, I'm really glad to see him thrive. Uh, yeah, he's actually a – he went to my high school, so he's a legend in my book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say, like, this Mavs team generally has the pieces to, to make the Western Conference Finals. This is a team – Yeah, they're legit. That has so much shooting around Luka Doncic, which is exactly what you need. You have Jalen Brunson, who's been really thriving this year. Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, Maxi Kleba can shoot the three. Dwight Powell has been pretty good for them. And him and Dorian Finney-Smith have been pretty good on the defensive end, holding it down, making up for some of those weaknesses. And, you know, if Davis Bertans decides to remember how to shoot, maybe that'll be another weapon that they have. And, you know, we clowned – I mean, at least, at least personally. Like, I didn't think this was a good trade at first. But I definitely have to swallow my words because, first of all, the availability. Like, Dinwiddie has played all these games. Porzingis would have been out for a significant amount of them. And Dinwiddie has really just thrived in this system playing alongside Luka. So you have to give credit to Mark Cuban for making this deal uh, because the Mavs have really been improving and gaining a lot of steam uh, after making this trade. So, so yeah, it was a really ballsy move, too, because, I mean, getting rid yeah. of the, uh, a centerpiece of your team like Kristaps uh, is definitely going to shake things up. Also, uh, not that he is the biggest influence, but credit to Jason Kidd for making this team also work. I mean, yeah. his 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 big thing coming into this year was I'm going to make Kristaps work, and Kristaps did work. He was playing great, and then Mark Cuban was like, "Hey, time to change things up. I want to make us even better," and they adjusted. Yeah, and finally, like Luca, you know. We he's always going to be sort of surrounding MVP talks, but he should be in those talks this year because if he's able to get the maps like the three or four seed, what he had the way he's played this year is phenomenal, and I think that he deserves to be in those conversations. Um, yeah, he it, which was crazy because he hasn't been at all, it really has not been a Luca year for MVP conversation, which is fair because the maps were kind of just okay to start the season. Yeah. But mm-hmm. And I mean, the other players have just been crazy. So speaking of teams though, that 
started the year just okay, but have been picking up steam as of late. Let's talk about the Celtics, you know, who just lost to the Mavs, but they've really recently been balling a lot. And we've talked about them a little bit, um, picking up steam in the second half of the season. They're 17 and four in their last 21 games, which is insane. And Jason Tatum over that stretch has looked like the guy I thought he would start the season as. Remember, I was talking about him as an MVP dark horse. Um, and this, was, this was the player that I saw. He's averaging 30 points per game, 7.4 rebounds, five assists on 50% shooting from the field, 40% from three, and 87% from the free throw line. And so, Hunter, what has made the Celtics turn the sinking ship around? Um, and, and what do you credit that to? Ooh, that's a, that's a hard thing. I think they're def- they've really formed an identity on defense, which this whole year, that was something we talked about and last year on this pod, was what is this identity of this team? It's very confusing. They don't have a real leader. Um, and, like, they, yeah, they have a guy in, like, Marcus Smart who's really good on defense, but they don't utilize their team as a whole better that well and whatever they did i i can't name like exactly one thing but they slapped themselves in the face and they said we can make a real defensive scheme and let's play tough basketball and they're just going out there and giving their all every single night which you have to give them credit for it and that's really working for them on that defensive end yeah and this is a tough team on defense i mean like you have the length and versatility of jason tatum uh jalen brown is a great defender uh, very tenacious. Marcus Smart, Derek White coming off the bench. Like, think about that. Marcus Smart and Derek, Derek White are your guarding your guards. And then Rob Williams is just holding it down at the center position. And honestly, a guy is he leading the league in blocks right now. He might be. I'm. I. I, I think. I. I want to say he's like top three. That's why I picked him in fantasy. I know we we haven't talked fantasy at all this year, but. I did pick him in fantasy because I did foresee a great year for him and uh, good to see that coming through. But also a guy who's been pretty good for them, Al Horford, you know, he's, we, we thought this was a very, not questionable, but sort of an okay pickup for them, but he's been playing great basketball and even guys like Dennis Schroeder, you know, he fits the identity of this team. Say what you will about Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder isn't on the team anymore. Wait, really? No, he got traded at the deadline. Remember? Oh my God. That's so he, He's part of He's part of the reason they're better. He's gone. <laughs> okay, but okay. I thought, but I mean, he was part of that stretch in the beginning. I knew I, I was watching Dennis Schroeder play for the Celtics and when they were on that role, uh, obviously before the deadline, but he was fitting in the identity for this team. He's a good, he has a high defensive. Yeah, identity. he's on the Rockets right now. So, Paul, was this, was this part of the Daniel Tice trade or who? I think it was Daniel Tice that got out of that trade. Yeah, no, no, they didn't get Daniel Tice. I think they gave him. Wait, did they get Daniel Tice? No, they got Daniel Tice from the Rockets. I think I'm right. Right. Sorry. I forgot Daniel Tice because he he was on the Celtics before. In the past, yeah. The point I'm making. Having another center helps them in general. Regardless of the personnel, the point I'm trying to make is that this this team has found their identity, and and the stars are hitting their strides. Both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have really been balling as of late. And it's just a joy to see because Tatum has one of the, in my opinion, one of the most aesthetically pleasing games in the entire NBA when he's rolling. Like his game is just so pure and he has tre- tremendous footwork and just can do it all on all three levels. And it is honestly kind of reminiscent of Kobe just in terms of the way he moves with the ball. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to agree with you. I mean, he's an exciting player. Uh, there's all those memes about him. Like every time he gets the ball, like, 
stepping back. It's it's just kind of funny, and it's it's true, but um, it, it's still beautiful basketball, even if he uh is going to step back every single time he gets it. He does. That. <laughs> That's all, all. All I think of when I see Jason Tatum is the step back. Not Harden, but like, yeah, okay, yeah, he has that in his bag. He, I see him. He hits all. He has a nice mid-range game too. Very underrated. Um, but anyway, what do you? What, yeah, do you what, what is your? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna ask the same question. What do you think the Celtics are gonna do in the playoffs? Like, how far do you see them going? Well, if we were to start the playoffs today, they play the Bulls in the first round. That's a great series. That, and I don't think they make it out of that. I think they do. I think they beat the, the Bulls in six. No, I, I th- I'd say the opposite. I think Chicago would win in six. Well, I think that people are forgetting the type of playoff performer that DeMar DeRozan is. And I think that this team lacks playoff experience in Chicago. Zach Levine's never been in the playoffs. Um, you know, you're looking at guys taking roles like Patrick Williams, Kobe White, uh, Ayo Desumu, who have very little NBA experience, let alone playoff experience. Versus the Celtics, who have been around the block a little bit. You know, Al Horford's a veteran. Marcus Marks has been in these playoff situations. Tatum Brown, they've been in these playoff situations before. And so I think their, their experience would really come to help them. And I think matchup-wise, that I think matchup-wise, the Celtics match up pretty damn well against the the Bulls. You know, you're putting... Really, I say, I'd say the Bulls matchup... I'd say it's a like pretty even matchup as far as, like, one team having an advantage over the other in positions. If anything, the Bulls will be able to really take advantage of the center position for them. While Robert Williams has been really good, I don't think he's big enough, nearly big enough to control Vucevic. Oh, I think I think quite the opposite. I think he would shut down Vucevic. I don't think that Vucevic would really be able to not shut him down entirely, but I think he would definitely stifle his ability to score. And when Vucevic, in my opinion, is not great when he has a tough physical defender against him, and that's exactly the type of player that Robert Williams is. And so I would have the Celtics winning that series. But how far do you think they can go? Like, Is this a team that can make the finals? No. I'd say that they're, this team's ceiling, like, because it's very possible for them to get past Chicago, but I don't think they'd get any further than that. At best, their second round exit because they'd be playing Milwaukee in the second round, most likely. I mean, seen- I, I could, I really can't see them getting past any other team. I mean, like this Eastern Conference is so stacked this year, and I really just think they they aren't ready. They don't have. They need one more piece to be there, and sometimes it's not even about one more piece, but about just having the better all-star. You don't think Jason Tatum can reach those heights? Not, I uh, know. He's not, he's not Giannis. I mean, that, <laughs> that's, that's stretching it, man. I know, but I'm saying like, we've seen him turn it up in the playoffs before. So I, I think this team actually has extremely high potential. I think that yeah. they would make. The let's play- go. Let's go in the hypothetical scenario where they beat the Bulls, right? And this is let's just assume we playoff brackets stay the same, and they have to f- face Milwaukee in the second round. Is Jason Tatum going bucket for bucket with Giannis? I think he could. I think it's definitely no. I don't I, think he will. Are we forgetting the type of player that Jason Tatum is? I mean, we've seen big performance after Giannis big- literally go, go, goes for fifty points in the finals. I understand, but I think the Celtics—they've matched up in the playoffs many times before 
And the Celtics have a good defensive scheme against him. I don't think that they would completely nullify him, but like they know how to guard Giannis somewhat. And I think you know. Sorry, what were we saying? Oh no, I just uh, you can keep going. I wasn't really saying anything. Okay, I think that you know, the the really the shooting and the defense of Boston would cause some issues for for Milwaukee. I mean, you're throwing Marcus Smart on Chris Middleton most likely, or no, you're probably putting Marcus Smart on what Jay, Drew Holiday. Anyway, you have that versus you have that switchability. Any of the three stars can be guarded by any of the three players, really. Um, any of the three defensive players on Boston and you have Robert Williams holding it down at, at the center position and Al Horford who has plenty of experience guarding Giannis and guarding dominant big men like that so I think that I would say that the Bucks are definitely favored but I wouldn't count out the Celtics I think this team seriously when they're clicking the, the ceiling is this the ceiling is what am I trying to say here the ceiling is the sky there is no ceiling yeah, the ceiling is the ceiling. <laughs> the ceiling. Is... <laughs> uh no, but they, they the have... ceiling's about ten feet. I really I think they are. I'm I'm being real. Being realistic. But moving on, I think it's time to talk about some other drama going on in the league. We've talked it, it's not a time out talk episode without talk about Ben Simmons. Let's be real here. Let's go. <laughs> uh, but let's let's start with the the James Harden side of this thing. And James Harden obviously came out for this team, this um, the Sixers team, and he was red hot, looked great. But he also cooled off quite quickly because the Nets and the um, Sixers played off against each other. And he started the game one for 10. So that, that was pretty rough. I think it might even have been like one for 11. So do you think that there's any way to tell who won this trade as of right now, considering that the Sixers got blown out by the Nets? Or do you think it's like way too early to tell anything about it? Well, I think one thing's for sure. I could say who lost this trade for sure. And that's us as the fans, because we have to watch James Harden and Joel Embiid shoot 60 free throws a game, and it's so boring. Like, I actually hate the fact that they're both free throw merchants and just buy their way to the line every time with these ticky-tacky fouls. And it just is really, like, not entertaining to watch, and it's just the worst type of basketball imaginable. So that's definitely who lost the trade. And in terms of who won the trade, I mean, the Nets just look different, you know, like – they, they definitely seem to have a lot more chemistry now that Harden's gone. And with the Sixers sort of starting to go into turmoil, I think we can say that the Nets are starting to look like they've won this trade. Ben Simmons is still in, re- in reserve, so we haven't seen his fit. But just look at the way Kyrie and Katie have been playing recently. And the whole team, as a matter of fact, they're just clicking on a whole nother level, playing with Seth, a lot more chemistry. Lot more Seth Curry has been great for them. Seth Curry has been great. Andre Drummond has been really good for them. And yes. him alongside KD and Kyrie has been a, a, a tremendous fit. And you look at the other side of this trade, yes, Harden started out fine, but now he's just starting to look like his old self with these really inefficient games, uh, you know, getting his way to the line, uh, and looking like he just doesn't really care. And so 
I think that I would have to say the Nets are starting to look like it, but we can't say anything definitive yet. Yeah. Uh, and another thing about this is I think that to, going back to Seth Curry, that you can really tell the Nets miss him. Or sorry, not the Nets. The Sixers miss miss Seth Curry. I mean that that spacing was just so killer for them. And not that they have a lack of spacing now, but they just definitely don't have that amount of spacing that they had before. Um, also, I want to just mention briefly that I, th- I forget which game it was after. I think it might have actually been after this game. Kyrie and the Brooklyn Nets got fined $50,000 from New York because Kyrie went into the locker room with his team, although he was present at the game. Um, they just got fined for him going in the locker room. Um, I'm sure he does hang out with his teammates all the time. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of this? It's ridiculous. The whole, at this point, it's reaching absurdity, the whole Kyrie on Vax situation with the mandates and all that. Because here's the situation as it stands. Kyrie can go around the arena maskless for free, you know, like freely. No, no holds barred. Um, and except he's not allowed to be on the court. Uh, because he's unvaccinated. But other unvaccinated players that are not on the Brooklyn Nets and not named Kyrie Irving um, can play on the Brooklyn Nets court. It's just absolutely absurd. So he's able to sit courtside without his mask, you know, watching his teammates play and watching other unmasked, unvaccinated players play. But he's not allowed to because of some arbitrary mandate. So it's just honestly so ridiculous at this point. And I wish that, you know the New York city government would just stop playing politics and just like allow the man to play basketball. This man has dropped 50 points. One of the most, I think the most efficient 50 point game ever against the Charlotte Hornets. And I just want to see him play more basketball because he has one of the most fun games in NBA history, best ball handler in NBA history. I just want to see the man. Play Absolutely. So yeah. Do you have anything else about that? No, I mean, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. It's just like free Kyrie. <laughs> Free Kyrie, man. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about, speaking of Ben Simmons, because we have to mention him. Uh, so according to Steve Nash, Ben Simmons is not close to his Nets debut. He's not even ready to play one-on-one yet. And obviously Ben Simmons is out because they're trying to get him back into basketball shape uh, because he hasn't played the whole season. And so I was thinking like of a parallel between him and Zion. Because, you know, these are players that we've been waiting to see for a long time. So should we hold Simmons to the same standard as Zion? Because to not even be ready to play one-on-one means you're in pretty bad shape, you know. Can't even play no, I don't think I don't think I hold them to the same standard. While Ben Simmons has, you know, been very um, – I'm, I'm looking for a family-friendly word to describe the way he's behaved in the past year or two. Um, but you get the point I'm trying to make. It's like Ben Simmons just has been acting poorly, and we can imagine during his offseason, during his uh, time away from the game, he probably wasn't spending it playing very much basketball. And from reports I've seen, it's not necessarily that he is, like, so out of shape or anything like that. And, like, you see how Ben Simmons looks physically, and he looks like the same person. I think I saw something about him having, like, back spasms or some sort of actual physical issue. And I think that's due to maybe him being so excited to get back to basketball that he pushed himself too hard and got himself injured before he was ready. Um, I don't think I hold that to the same stick candle as Zion because I think with being on a new team, 
Kyrie and Katie doesn't have to move very far. I think that was exciting for him. And I think he might've pushed himself a little too hard. I mean, think about when you take a break from any sport you're playing or just generally from something you love doing that requires a lot of physical activity. And you get so excited about doing it that you just like hop straight into like playing super hard. And then you just hurt something and it, it takes a week or two to get back to it. It's, it's just like that, but at a higher level, because we're talking about NBA level talent. We're talking about NBA level um, contact. So I think it's one of those cases, definitely not a Zion Williamson. This guy is going to be out. Can we, do we even know if he'll ever return to basketball kind of situation? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I tend to agree with you there. Like, I think it's kind of, we shouldn't, that we shouldn't hold him to the same standard because, you know, Ben Simmons, like he could have played all those games with the Sixers, but he just chose not to. What, regardless of what you think of that, like that was his choice versus Zion, who like, I'm sure there's nothing more he would love to do than to get back onto the court, but he's just like can't stay healthy and can't stay not obese. Um, <laughs> but so I don't know. I just we'll we'll have to wait and see. But I think as of right now, like that's not really a fair comparison to make. Um, but speaking of, I just want to bring this up. I just thought of it. You know who's a player who really. We should be questioning, like, what's up with them. Kendrick Nunn. This guy signed with the mid-level exception. Yes. And hasn't played a single game for them. And they're not even coming out with any news about his return anymore. Like, what? what's wrong with this guy, dude? I'm pretty sure he, like, stubbed his toe. And he's like, oh, I can't play the whole season. And he was, like, tweeting throughout the season. He's like, I'm going to turn this sinking ship around once I come back. But you haven't played, buddy. Where have you been? You're farming a check from us. Literally, Tom Brady retired from the game of football and came back before Kendrick Nunn has even put on a Laker jersey. It's ridiculous. What is what is wrong with this guy? Yeah, right now, it, apparently, it's a bone bruise. A uh, bone, bone bruise, bruise that has he been stubbed, here. He stubbed his toe, and he's like, ah, oh, bone bruise. <laughs> uh, so he's expected to be out until late March as of right now, but that was in mid-February. It's mid-March, and we still have no news on him. So more than likely, he might not even play this season. Who knows if we'll even see him in the postseason? Uh, okay, that's assuming the Lakers make the postseason. <laughs> okay, play in. Who knows if we'll see him in the play-in? That's more like it. That's more like it. I- I'm including the plan in the postseason, by the way. Fair enough. I don't, because I think the plan is kind of like a Mickey Mouse. It, no, But no, play-in is postseason. It's just not playoffs. It's okay, postseason. Fair, fair, fair. That's fair. It's not the playoffs. Okay, that, I'll agree to that. I'll agree to that. Um, so, anyways, I think that's actually a great place to end it. Um, unless you have anything else to add. Yeah, I think that'll be it. All right, great. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Felt good to be back to record another episode of the podcast. And uh, we'll get another episode to you next week to cover some more March Madness stuff, to cover what's happening in the NBA as we ramp up toward the playoffs. Uh, So thank you all so much for listening and take care. We'll uh, see you all next week. Bye-bye. Peace.